You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Before we get to today's podcast with Dave McMenamin, I want to tell you about something cool that we're doing on the Five Reasons Network. As you know, we give out all of this content for free, and we're going to continue to add content. Three episodes a week on the flagship Five Reasons, and also all of the other podcasts that we've been adding to the network. But we want to try something a little bit different to get the community involved in a different way. So we're starting a patronage page. You can check out that page either at Five Reasons Sports or the description of this podcast, wherever it is that you download the podcast. And if you go sign up there for $5, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get bonus content from the flagship. So a lot of the extra stuff that Chris and I do, we will post it there. You also get bonus segments and interviews from all of the other podcasts in our network. They've got a lot of cool ideas. It's an opportunity for us to give you something a little bit different, experiment a little bit. Also, you're going to get entry into exclusive contests. And I can tell you, we're doing one this week. If you go there now and sign up, we're going to do a random drawing for a $30 gift certificate to Texas Roadhouse. And you can use that at any of the Texas Roadhouse locations in South Florida. You'll also get access to our Miami Creator Podcast. That's M-I-A-M-E, capital M-E. We're going to be releasing an episode of Light Skinned Opinions, which is run by one of the guys in our network, ALF. Uh, It's a really, really cool podcast. You get access to that. And also you get access to premium content on our website as soon as we launch that sometime this fall. So go check it out again at Five Reasons Sports or check out the description. You go directly to it from that link. And now on with the show. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. Now that you have found us, regardless of what platform you found us on, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button. That way you will get access to all of the old episodes in our library, as well as all of the new episodes that we'll be posting here in the next week. As well, if you hit notifications, you will get that episode as soon as it posts. We're planning on taping with Joy Taylor, Dave Hyde, Omar Kelly, Chris Perkins, and others this week. So certainly you're going to want to jump on that. Also check out the other podcasts in our network. We are now officially at eight. I'm not going to go through all of them. Basically just type in five reasons when you get to your platform and you will find them and you can follow them at five reasons sports. That's the number five reasons sports. All right, we've gotten away a little bit from the NBA of late. That is kind of our bread and butter and we wanted to welcome this guy in. Um, he's actually third, third among the Cleveland Cavaliers beat crew that we've invited on here. I, I don't know how you slipped to that position because, of course, you are the most credible <laughs> of all of them. But we've already had Joe Varden. We've had Chris Fedora. At some point, I'm sure I'll get Jason Lloyd on this thing. But today we welcome in Dave. Save the best for last. Well, that's what he would say for sure. Uh, <laughs> today we actually we bring on from ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter. At McTen, that's M-C-T-E-N, Dave McMenamin. Dave, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me on, guys. What we want to get to you with you today, obviously, we're going to do a lot of LeBron. Um, just on some backstory here for people who don't know, Dave was actually out in Los Angeles covering the Lakers and then moved to Cleveland in 2014 to cover LeBron when he went up to play for the Cavaliers. So 
you're already familiar with the Lakers situation. You're familiar with the Cavaliers situation. You're very familiar with LeBron, which is why we felt that you'd be the perfect person to do this pod with us. And what we kind of want to do here is we're, you know, now a few days out from when LeBron made it official. We're obviously a couple, almost a couple weeks out from when he decided to leave the Cavs. I want to start here with part one, which is looking at whether the Cavs could have done anything to stop this. At some point over the past four years, and we can go back to the beginning a little bit because I know there's a lot of focus on Kyrie, which we'll touch on, and obviously the trades that were made at the deadline. But as you look at the four years in totality, do you think they did anything wrong that led to LeBron after four seasons deciding, yeah, I'm going to leave again, but I'm going to try something new? Kobe Altman said the other day, that there was nothing we could have done that would have changed it. And I generally believe him. And I think that's a healthy way of looking at it. If you are the Cavs to try to move forward and, and not looking back, man, where we mess up. But the only thing that, that I still have some criticism for them is the summer of 2017 and the Paul George trade negotiations. Because basically, they had a deal lined up to secure a top 15 NBA player to come into Cleveland and play with LeBron James a guy who fits the modern NBA in terms of can be a two-way player and can be a playmaker. Like those are the press button in case of emergency that LeBron's been pounding or had been pounding the last three years in Cleveland. They had this trade lined up. They Now we've learned after the fact that Indiana wanted a first-round pick and they wanted the Cavs to remove protections on it to do the trade. Dan Gilbert went to you know LeBron's camp and wanted to secure a long-term commitment verbally from LeBron to do a trade like that and give up the, the first-round pick. LeBron wouldn't give the commitment, and so they wouldn't give up the pick, and then the trade fell apart. I think they should have gone for it then. Like, yeah, okay, LeBron's going to give you a commitment, but guess what? If you get Paul Jordan, you win a title, then that commitment can follow. And that's the only criticism I give and and you know perhaps they would have got Paul George and they would have played one year together and they would have gone to LA together <laughs> because they would have enjoyed each other's company like so they could have gone bad for the Cavs but I think that would have been a worthy risk a first round pick one for potentially getting Paul George and keeping LeBron longer in your franchise the one kind of counter that I would have to that is based off of some of the reporting that I've read and, you know, listening to Brian Windhorst and some of your colleagues at ESPN is that there seems to have been a foregone conclusion element of this move to Los Angeles and that it was always going to happen. And so I kind of understand Dan Gilbert saying, well, if I'm going to lose a draft, do you know which, which year the draft pick would have been? Would have been this past year? Would have been what ended up being the Colin Sexton pick? What was the pick on the table? No, it wasn't wasn't the Sexton pick because they got that from the Kyrie trade. Right, exactly. Yeah. A, a subsequent trade. No, it, I don't know. It's a, it's a maybe a future, I'm not sure, 20 or 2021 20, first round I pick. I guess the only thing is, like, I, I do kind of understand why they were hedging this whole time because I, I think it would have had to have taken them actually winning the championship in order to get him to stay. If I don't think if they lose in six or if they lose in five or maybe even if they lose in seven that, that you're really convincing him to stay. So if they really felt like he was out the door – then you kind of hedge your bets because then you'd be out of first-round pick and a rebuild. But I guess the point that you would make would probably be, well, they're in the middle of this disastrous rebuild that they're going to have to either start or delay a year by trying to make the playoffs this year. They're kind of, I'm going to curse here, up this creek anyway. What difference does it make? Plus, they could they could have won a championship. Like, they could have won. <laughs> Without mm -hmm. Paul George, they're in a one-possession game in the final minute of game one and game three of the finals this year. They could have won a championship. And so to me, while you have the greatest player of his generation on your roster, you should do 
absolutely everything you can. Don't worry about mortgaging your future. I don't care about that term. You have to do absolutely everything you can to give him all the pieces necessary to win another championship while he's on your team. And they, they didn't do that. And then, like, really, like, like you just said, they're delaying their own rebuild purposely, it appears, this year. Okay, what's one extra first-round pick going to do to that process? And, Ethan, you've made that point, too, when it comes to the Mike Miller thing all the time where – you pay any amount of luxury tax, you make any move, it doesn't matter you know, right. what, what, what the future holds. You give up every first-round pick and, and you make every second. Because it does seem like those small moves do, although the Paul George one would have been a massive one, but those small moves end up kind of making the difference, don't they? Yeah, they do. And, and, that's, yeah, been, yeah. and that's been my, well, that's been my criticism, Dave, of the Heat and the way they handled the last year here. Because, again, it's the same thing where people are saying it was a foregone conclusion he was going to leave because in 2012 he was already sort of making – you know, back roads back to Cleveland and Rich Paul was working on that. But the reality is the heat hastened it by the way they handled the last year, because I mean, whether or not there's been some revisionist history about the Mike Miller thing, but at the time that didn't go over particularly well. They, they also got rid of Joel Anthony for tax. They added guys like Michael Beasley and Greg Oden, which were kind of disasters and they weren't developing any young players. And so they just didn't handle the last year very well. And my thing is, whatever the luxury tax is, and that's what I do give Gilbert credit for, like they were willing to pay the tax, like whatever the tax is, it's worth it because your franchise value is going to tank as soon as he leaves by much more than the tax mm-hmm. that you're paying. So there's there's absolutely no point to sort of pinch pennies while you have him. And I, I think in retrospect, I think the Heat has come to that conclusion. And I don't know that Gilbert will because, again, he, he has spent the money. That doesn't seem to be the problem with him. It's more of a personality conflict. But I, there's a couple of other situations, Dave, I want to kind of take you to because there were, seemed to be a bunch of flashpoints here. So you mentioned last summer. But the other thing about last summer was what was the deal with David Griffin? I don't know if it would have had such a dramatic effect of keeping up Paul George, but Having David Griffin this year, and I, and again, I don't say this in any way to criticize Kobe, but because they, they didn't have the time to build that relationship. But David Griffin was able to communicate with LeBron in times when the seasons got tough. And that's a valuable asset to have on a team if you're the organization that has LeBron in your stead. And they didn't have that person in their front office. Kobe did drum up that relationship with which obviously he did have a one-on-one relationship in February when he went to him and kind of mapped out his franchise-altering trades that he was able to pull off. But I'm with you. I, I don't think that was a good look. And I think it was a uh, emblematic moment of the management style of Dan Gilbert. And I don't think it's a, a style that, that really jives with LeBron's vision on how to run a basketball team. But as you said, and, and I say it too because it has to be mentioned, over the last four years, Dan Gilbert spent over $450 million in salary alone, which is over $50 million more than any other team in the NBA. And in the last three years, paid close to $130 million in luxury tax, while all other, all 29 other owners combined paid $131 million in luxury tax. So for all we want to say about Dan Gilbert, parting ways with David Griffin in unceremonious fashion, the most important thing that he did was honor his commitment to pay whatever it takes when they met down in Miami in 2014. So I'm not going to bury him for that decision. It was a personality conflict from what I understand. But I think you could say that 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 was one that didn't go over well with LeBron. And also did all that without getting the commitment. But to sort of get back to the the broader conversation that we were having about, was Cleveland helpless in stopping this? You mentioned the Paul George trade. Do you feel like after winning the title that 
there was a sense from LeBron that because he had accomplished what he wanted to, the path for him was clear to execute another stage, execute a move somewhere else where maybe he can accomplish other goals over the course of his career. Do you feel like Cleveland was in the end helpless over these last two years, similar in the way that Miami was kind of helpless over the last, uh, over, over the last year of the big three to stop him going? Well, to credit one of your previous guests and Joe Varden, and I've told Joe this, that it's one of the most important quotes that he's ever gotten on the beat. During the 2017 playoffs, LeBron told Joe, I have nothing left to prove. And to me, in the moment, my ears perked up. I was like, okay, that's him already signaling that I could be leaving because he was not going to allow his career after 2016 to be determined by anybody but himself no more worrying about what the pundits say no more worrying about the fan base it's me and my family and and what i want to do and and guess what if i do something that's quote-unquote unpopular it's going to be okay and no one's going to say 10 years from now that i was any worse of a player and and you know no one's going to stop tuning in to watch the nba if anything more people are going to watch and i'm going to make this business even more successful And so I think, yes, there was thoughts going on in his head as far back as probably months after that championship of what what do I want to do with my career now? What's the next challenge? What's the next move? And quite frankly, I think that's totally okay. (laughs) uh, I I don't think we have to assign blame or or have too much curiosity with it other than just to say that, you know what, like this this is what he wants to do with his life. And, 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 you know, I think he's earned it. Final thing here before we move on to the next part of this, Dave, which is Kyrie. And I I know you guys got into a lot of depth on this with the interview that you did with 92.3, the fan up in Cleveland. And and people should definitely check that out because it was really, really entertaining stuff for three hours. But I guess the, the question I would have to push this forward with Kyrie, because I didn't hear this one come up specifically. If they had stayed together, like let's say they patched the thing up last offseason, which again, it seems like it was not going to head that direction. How do you think that would have played long term? Because it, it strikes me that from the little that I know about Kyrie covering that one year and just observing him from afar, that like Kyrie was always going to want his own team back. So as LeBron aged and became less effective, I don't know when that's going to happen, but at some point it's going to happen, maybe three, four, five years down the line, that it would have been this sort of awkward transition between the two of them. Do do you think there was ever a long-term play for Kyrie and LeBron together in Cleveland? No, I don't think LeBron knew that though when he decided to come back to Cleveland. There was a personality conflict that he didn't anticipate. And if I was Kyrie Irving, and I always try to do, just we have to try to put ourselves in these guys' shoes, right? It's like, it's like the look in the mirror test. What do you see when you look in the mirror? When LeBron James looks in the mirror, he sees the greatest basketball player of all time. And that informs how he goes about his life. When Kyrie Irving looks in the mirror, he sees the best basketball player of his age. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't, I think he has that same supreme confidence. He doesn't think there's anybody better in his era. And so those two things can't really coexist that long. And I thought it was going to last longer, obviously, but we've seen that Kyrie's camp chose a time to request a trade when they believed they would have the most chance of success in in achieving that trade because he'd be going to a team and he has two years left on his deal and that team would be willing to give up the requisite assets that would appeal to Cleveland to make that trade. Whereas if only had one year left on this deal, you know, less assets are going to be given up and Cleveland would be more inclined just to hold on to him and let him play out his contract. I think 
LeBron's intention coming into it, and he said this on the Road Tripping podcast, was to hand over the blueprint to Kyrie. You know, quote unquote, everything he's learned in his years on and off the court about becoming a superstar. He wanted to give that roadmap to Kyrie, and so he could follow it himself and win MVPs and you know all the endorsement dollars you'd ever imagine. But Kyrie didn't have interest in learning from LeBron. He wanted to carve his own path. And I think it's going to be telling to see how he interacts with stars on his team the rest of his career and whether it is ever a conflict for him again. Because Kyrie is a very headstrong individual, uh, unique individual. And when you play on a team... Those characters are. It, it's interesting to see how that that will fit because I think I think those type of things could come up again when he tries to play with a superstar. Yeah, and he may have superstars on his own roster in Boston because uh, depending right. on d- d- depending on how Gordon Hayward comes back and and looking at what Jason Tatum may become that that uh, that may be a situation with Kyrie in the future. And again, unless he goes to a New York or somewhere like that. All right, so let's transition here. To part two, we're not going to spend quite as much time on this because what happens when LeBron leaves your team is that people forget you. And so that's going to happen with the Cavs a bit this year. And you mentioned that they're kind of caught in between a little bit like they, they draft Sexton, but they haven't gone full rebuild yet. So I know there's some interest here in Miami about this because this name has come up with the heat. And, and obviously, if this player was traded, there would be interest around the league. But what is the future for Kevin Love in Cleveland? Are they going to build around him, or is he just a trade piece for whenever it is that they decide to sort of break the thing up? Yeah, obviously, I reported before the draft they were not actively shopping Kevin Love, and they had interest in bringing him back on the roster regardless of whatever decision LeBron made. And then Kobe Altman doubled down on that in Las Vegas when you know he said that not only Kevin Love, but we, we want the rest of our veterans around here and excited for next season. And, and they think they're going to lead a competitive team. And so you'll see Kevin here and you'll see JR and Kyle Korver and Tristan Thompson and George Hill back too. That's fine. I believe it. Now, there are people around the league that have the opinion of that's just the front that the Cavs are putting out because they don't want people to think it's a fire sale and they can get these pieces at a discount in trade offers that, you know, if the Cavs want to keep these guys, oh, you got to offer more to actually try to get them. But I don't think it's a psychological play here. I think Kevin Love will be on the team next year. He'll be the face of the Cavs. He will bridge from the wonderful memories of the championship in 2016 to the new memories they're making and, and trying to become a team that matters again. And quite frankly, I, I think Kevin Love will have incentive to play next year because he can ball out and opt out of the final year of his deal and hit this summer of 2019 when all this money is going to be around there and try to cash in one last huge deal. And so I, I think it works out for both parties. And I think it, it also, maybe the most important thing here, appeals to Dan Gilbert's ego, where I think if the Cavs made the playoffs next year, it would be an accomplishment nearly on the same level as winning the championship for Dan. Because it would say that, you know what, I've learned. You know, 2010, no, I didn't handle it right. But I've learned in my eight years as the owner since then. And now I know what it, what it's like to build a winner. And now we have we have a winning program. We don't just have the vessel that held LeBron. This proves we have a winning program. The arbitrary measurement of making the playoffs. 
you join the other more than half of the teams in the league that do that. But I do kind of understand it, though, because and look, I think, you know, Miami can I'm certainly sitting here rolling my eyes at that idea and and saying, well, I mean, you have a pick next year that's I think only top 10 protected. Like you better have that first round pick convey if you're going to be any kind of good in the long term. But I mean, Miami did the same thing. I mean, a few months after LeBron left, they traded two barely protected first-round picks to go and get Goran Dragic because they wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to show that LeBron wasn't going to break them. And I do kind of find I find that dynamic interesting. But we talked about it earlier about how LeBron has to be a drain of your resources while he's there because you have to win. And then afterwards, this kind of bizarre... How does LeBron other than being the best player in the league and one of the best players ever, there is almost like this added element of you take on LeBron and there's all these extra things that affect the people around them both in and after the time that he's there. What do you mean, Chris, by all these extra things? So, so like, so, because I don't feel like when you have Kevin Durant... You don't say, well, you you pay every dollar of luxury tax and you trade every first round pick and you do everything possible so that you keep Kevin Durant, right? Like, I don't feel like that. Like, there's no other player in the league that comes with this extra, right? Or afterwards, the owner's like, well, I'm going to show LeBron. Like, I don't know if Oklahoma City, when sort of reacting to Durant leaving, went, well, we're going to show Kevin Durant. Like, maybe Westbrook was, but I'm saying the team. There's kind of this extra sort of dynamic that comes with having him there is just because he's this cult of personality. What for you is sort of the dynamic that is different around being a LeBron team versus being around another NBA team with a superstar? I think he is a master of leverage. I think that's a skill that he has that's right up there with court vision and his leaping ability and his athleticism. Um, And I think as you just laid that out there, isn't that a lesson to other owners that they probably should be doing that? If Mm -hmm. they have a player that they believe is, is that talented, that is a individual force that can be the guy to make sure you surround him with everything possible to win. Like I think, you know, as he reflects on nine finals and three championships, you know, that's what all these owners are in it for. And so obviously we know everyone across the sport have criticized Oklahoma City Thunder ownership by not coughing up the extra money to give James Harden and the whole league would have been different possibly. And, and that team could have multiple championships. And so what, what LeBron and his, his management team have done is present the terms of what it is to have him under your employment. And if you want LeBron James, you have to do XXXXX, and that involves really pushing your chips to the table on every hand. And it's created a charged atmosphere, you could say, but it's created unprecedented success in the modern era of basketball. Sure. And and so I, I don't I don't think there's many things many flaws you can find in it. Now, I think the, the term organizational fatigue, you know, that Brian Windhorst, I don't know if he coined it, but he, he uh, wrote a very good column about it during the 2018 NBA playoffs during the East Conference Finals. That exists, and that's mm-hmm. very, very real, and that is a side effect of having LeBron under his terms, under your employee. But at the same time, everyone I speak to tells you it's worth it. Well, that's what I was going to get at. I mean, you made a couple of points there that are really good. Um, the OKC point, for sure, I was going to make that one because uh, if Clay Bennett could have that one over, <laughs> you pay James Harden and you keep a core of three guys who ended up winning MVPs together and they didn't do that. And as far as the organizational fatigue, that definitely exists. It existed with the Heat. They were tired of stuff over the last year in particular. 
they were tired of kind of other players on the team using LeBron as a conduit to get things that they wanted because that happened quite a bit where guys on the team, even veterans on the team, would go to LeBron and say, we don't really like what Spolstra's doing. We don't really like what Riley's doing. Can you take care of this for us? And then that mm-hmm. became an issue. And, and so, and I've had an issue with the fact that the Heat, again, didn't sort of recognize, well, just do what he wants. Do what he wants. It's worth it. Okay, whatever it is, it's worth it. All right, change your culture a little bit. Well, and, and I, 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 I will say, for me, the counterexample, though, is that I think if you would have done what he would have wanted, then Eric Spolster would no longer be the coach. Okay, well, so that is the one example back in 2011, uh, or 2010, 2011. And Eric has, has basically said that, that any other organization, Eric believes he would have been fired three times. Um, 2010, mm-hmm. when they signed LeBron, when they lost, then when they started nine and eight in 2010, 11, he says on any other organization, I would have been fired. And 2011, after the season, he believes that he would have been fired uh, after losing the finals. So in all three cases, the Heat were strong enough not to do that. And yes, on a couple of situations, they sort of went to LeBron's whims. You know, the Shapaz Napier pick, for example, is one of those <laughs> where, where, where they had Clint Capella in mind. But, but I think that the larger point is, they didn't bend as quite as much as the Cavs did. And I have criticized them for that because I think at times they should have. And and, and I, and I, th- I think Dave also makes an incredible point, which is, well, LeBron shouldn't be atypical in this regard. This should be the norm for the league superstars, mm-hmm. that if you have one of these great, like, go, like people talk about the luxury tax that Golden State is going to have to pay, and you're like, well, hang on a second. You're guaranteed a championship if you keep that team together. What do you mean luxury tax? Like, you right. shouldn't care mm-hmm. about the owner's bottom line. You shouldn't care about draft picks. Like, yeah, other players and other teams should recognize the opportunity to go and win championships and should strike and should leverage everything that they have. But the ego thing plays into this too. And I think what Dave's getting at here with Dan Gilbert and saying, I want to make the playoffs without him. Again, this is where the Heat got in trouble (laughs) Mm -hmm. because Riley wanted to make the playoffs without LeBron and then he wanted to make the playoffs without Wade. And that's why the Heat are sitting here with a bunch of contracts that as we're taping this interview, we don't know if they can get rid of, right? Like, because this was the whole idea was to be competitive. And it's interesting to me because you say, you're talking, Dave, about Gilbert learning from his mistakes. The Cavs were 97 and 215 in the four years Uh after LeBron left. I mean, the Heat have been over 500 since LeBron left. So the Heat, actually were successful in that regard. But I don't necessarily think that, although I give the Heat tremendous credit for what they've done over the past four years, it's been frankly amazing compared to what the Cavs did. I don't know necessarily that it was better for the long term of the franchise. Like what Gilbert did, you could say it was incompetence or intentional, but losing for those four years got them Kyrie, right? Got them a shot at a first round overall pick. They blew it with Anthony Bennett, but got them the first round pick and Andrew Wiggins, they were able to flip for Kevin Love. So I don't know that necessarily modeling yourself after, I don't know if he's modeling after what the Heat did, but sort of trying to show I can be competitive without LeBron is the best way to go about this. Like to me, that sort of flies in the face of what we've learned the past few years in the NBA. Right, but I think the LeBron piece is so unique here. Like at some point you have to just figure out what we're going to be as a franchise without having sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member for $90 more. I can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more. You'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness. You'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. A chance to have the greatest player of all time in our stead. And, you know, if you're Pat Riley, 
he looks at it like, well, you know, I built championship teams as a coach with another team, a finals team in New York, and I, I built a championship team in Miami without LeBron. So I will continue to have that class of, of success regardless. For Dan Gilbert, he doesn't have that track record. And you could say, yes. I mean, I think it's accurate to say that you know the 97-215 was the best course they could have done with those four years because let's say they were mediocre and they didn't have the cap space or or the picks or whatever to make that happen. And then they just go on being mediocre and then they miss the wave of LeBron for sure. But at, at some point you got to figure out like outside of the extreme circumstance of having a top five player of all time on our team, what are we going to be as a team? And I think that's what the Cavs are trying to figure out right now. This is the five reasons sports network sports by Miami for Miami on demand. We now have 10 podcasts in the network, posting roughly 15 times per week. All can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and several cross-platform apps. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Miami Heat Beat. Are we a Tyler Johnson away? Are we a Hassan? I can't even do that to you. I'm sorry. Breaking news. The Cavs are in shambles. <laughs> If you want to get involved as a sponsor or contributor, reach out to us at number five reason sports on Twitter and be sure to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. All right, let's move on to part three now and to where LeBron is actually going. And I know you know this situation. So again, this is kind of right in your wheelhouse. I'll start with this question. What for you is this really about? Well, I mean, LeBron, of course, is very intentional in his messaging. So I don't want to go and bring up this little example I'm about to and give too much emphasis to it as just a genuine example. But on LeBron's Instagram story recently, in the, you know, the week and a half since he made his decision to go to L.A., he takes a video in his backyard with the beautiful pool and his kids playing and jumping off this kind of landing into the pool and dancing and you know, he puts like the caption on it, like my kids are living their best life. And like, man, they look like kids being kids. And, and these, you know, both the kids are, have a degree of fame already, or, you know, actually even his little daughter does too, but they look like people enjoying the sunshine, enjoying their pool, like, man. And I think that that's a part of this story, him and his family, you know, benefiting from the fruits of his labor to go live a plush life in Southern California. So there's a piece there. Another piece, obviously, is the entertainment opportunities that will arise, movies, television, et cetera, et cetera, with his burgeoning Spring Hill Entertainment and uninterrupted media platform empire. And then, of course, the basketball. And while you could say that what the Lakers did the best over the last four years was just like the Cavaliers, which was not play well and fall into draft picks and fall into cap space that they had to pay for with those draft picks because they paid Timofey Mozgov and Luol Deng and hiring ultimately Magic Johnson as someone who could come in, sit down at the table and relate to LeBron James. And you know, it's a combination of all of them. I, I can't really remove any of those points to why LeBron felt comfortable coming to the Los Angeles Lakers. Do I think some matter more than others? Well, like I think a, a championship would be a wonderful cherry on top to LeBron's career. But kind of going back to that Joe Varden quote, I hate to give Joe so much credit on this damn podcast, but <laughs> he has nothing left to prove. Like, he doesn't need a championship in L.A. to make this be a successful venture in his mind. He gets to enjoy life 
his children get to enjoy life out here. He gets to explore his off-court stuff, which he'll be doing for the next 45 years or so, however long he lives, hopefully longer than that. Um, basketball is going to exist for four, four or five more years. And so it, it only makes sense to set himself up for what he's going to do next. And at the same time, he'll play competitive basketball and on the huge stage, which he loves. And people will give him attention for his basketball skills, which he appreciates. And and that's I don't think they need to have much more than that. Like that, there's your explanation. I said that I thought that this time around, that two things were going to matter to LeBron about the decision makers, and that was business interests and even politics. Honestly, because LeBron has become so much more socially conscious, active, outspoken. I mean, he called the president a bum. I mean, so he's he's kind of gone out on that limb much more than he did. That started in Miami with the Trayvon thing, but when he got here, that wasn't really part of him, and then it became more part of him. And then I saw that there was some commentary, I don't know, it may have been Ramona, somebody at ESPN, who talked about how those two things with magic mattered. His social activism and his business interests. From how you know him, how much do you think that that played into this? I'm not saying that LeBron needs like a mentor at this point because he's gotten to this point <laughs> without having really that kind of father figure mentor outside of Lynn Merritt at, at Nike, I guess you could say. But he's kind of done it with having his peer, his peers, his group of peers, his consigliaries. But certainly if LeBron's looking to have the kind of Los Angeles be his home base for, you know, the next however many decades, not that he'll, I can't imagine he'll ever leave having a home in, in Akron, Ohio, but to kind of spend more of his time out here. Well, it's just a smart person to know. Like, how many connections can Magic Johnson make for LeBron off the court? Because he's already made them all himself. And so when LeBron's trying to put together a deal, like it's simple things like, oh, who do I call at this company? Or who's the guy I got to know there? To me, that's valuable. It's like in any industry. Like, you know, when I went to, when I moved to Cleveland, I was calling up Brian Windhorst to find out, oh, who are the people I'm going to be calling here or who should I call on this this trade or what's the context on, on a deal that they've done before with this franchise because he'd been there and he lived it and I think that's a valuable person to have in your life the same way that, that Magic can provide that kind of unlimited resource to LeBron and just a wealth of knowledge and experience. All right so the, the biggest question that I have here beyond this and we'll move on to this in part four is what exactly, you mentioned basketball, and I agree with you. Like, if he wins a championship at this point, it's gravy, but it's not essential. He, he got the first one in Miami that he needed. He became a two-time champion. He's not going to catch Michael at this stage. Uh, certainly, he can't wipe off the final losses out of his record. So there's a lot of people who, and I never understood this, why it's better that Jordan got eliminated before the finals so many times right. <laughs> than it is that LeBron gets eliminated in the finals, including three times against arguably the best team in history, but that's uh, that's a conversation for another day. But I guess my question is from a basketball perspective. I have no freaking idea what they're doing right now, Dave, and maybe you can help explain <laughs> it to me. Uh, but I, I, I know that this has been spun as trying to get LeBron or LeBron wants to play differently, so he wants more creators around him and not as many shooters, and that they added some guys, whether it's Rondo or Lance or some of the others who can create a little bit. But I see a roster that has a lot of dysfunctional personalities, strong-minded personalities that I don't know if are going to fit ideally with him. And then you also have a roster that doesn't have really any shooting. When I look at the shooters on that roster now, they've got – I put it up on Twitter the other day. I mean, I know people are telling me Ingram shot well last year. 
they've got some bricklayers on that team who are going to play a lot. What is your view of what they've done so far? Well, I mean, I would take away the no freaking idea because I'd take away the freaking because at least the, none of these deals for the most part with the veterans are long-term. And so that, that, that to me is like, it, it's a very clear strategy to do an experiment this year to some degree, but make sure that they can go pursue what their real plan is for the summer of 2019 with real plan, quote unquote, meaning whatever superstar that they have their eyes on, be it Clay Thompson to Kawhi Leonard to Kevin Durant, that's when this team will be at its kind of full formation. But for now, they have sold LeBron on a vision that by the way the team was constructed in Cleveland, he was forced to do so much. And doing so much, he didn't feel like he was able to show off his talents. He felt exploited by his talents because they needed him to literally leave it all on the court or they didn't have a chance to win. They believe, whether this is folly or not, but the Lakers believe they can play a brand of defensive basketball that will lead to deflections and steals and three-on-two and two-on-one opportunities where LeBron James, as great as, great as he is, as, as much as he is the best basketball player in the world right now, LeBron James in the open court, that is where his true argument for best player of all time is. <laughs> because his efficiency numbers are absolutely through the roof the last time i looked up the numbers and the last time i wrote about it i should say he was shooting something like 75 percent in transition opportunities and the Cavs' offensive efficiency when lebron was in transition opportunities was absurd because he gets into the lane and either he's fouled he dunks or gets a layup or he sprays out to a wide open shooter and so the shooters they have on this roster are not traditional catch and shoot guys i agree but they think the young guys Kuzma, Ingram, Hart, they think they are all, you know, improving and the three-pointers will be a part of their game. Let's not forget LeBron's a pretty proficient three-point shooter at this point in his career, and they are adding that guy. And they think that they have guys, as much as they're bringing personality to this thing, they think they have guys that are going to alleviate pressure off LeBron, and that's the goal. And I can see it being combustible and not working. Absolutely. I'd be foolish to think this is the, the easiest path to success. But I can also see the logic or, or the thought process behind it. And so I'm interested to see it play out. And to me, this all comes down to one player, and it's someone who's probably not going to play at all, and that's Luol Dang, because you see you're paying him $18 million this year and then $18.8 million next year. If you wanted to get off of that money, then you're going to have to staple one, two, maybe even three assets because it's such a calamity. And I feel like in a year's time, you're going to have the ability to trade him as an expiring. Well, maybe you don't have to give up as much, or maybe someone absorbs him into their cash space for a first-round pick, and it's not as prohibitive to get off of that contract. And in the interim, the other positive that you're looking at this roster right now is that none of the guys on their rookie deals are going to see those rookie deals expire next offseason. So it's not like anyone's up for an extension in the immediate future. So you can still make decisions on Kuzma, who has two years left, on Ingram, who has one year after this, on Hart, who has two years after this, on Ball, who has two years after this. Like, there's still enough youth there that it's not that big of a concern that you're not going to be as good this year because maybe next year they look like better assets. They will have grown playing with LeBron James. And I agree with you, Dave. I think this is about next year. Yeah. And also there's probably a look at the rest of the league and say, okay, the Warriors are still really strong and, and going to be major favorites to win. And, and the Rockets are still pushing it to the middle of the table. And this could be the last great year that Chris Paul has or whatever. And that's fine. Uh, we're not taking ourselves out of it this year, but we're not 
going to chase it so much that we hurt our pursuit in 2019. And um, I, I think LeBron went to a place basketball-wise where if and when the Warriors do blow up, I mean, they could either land some of those pieces from the Warriors <laughs> or – I mean, they already got one in Jadel McGee, so obviously that's the Warriors piece that you want to get. <laughs> but uh, Or they could attract other marquee free agents that say, you know what, now I'm more tempted to move because I don't have the feeling of, well, what will it matter anyway because the Warriors are so good. And, and they'll be able to quickly turn themselves into a championship contender as long as LeBron can continue to do this freakish, I never age thing that he's been doing over the last couple of years and continue to stay at the top of the game. All right, before we transition here to part five, um, real quick here, Dave, uh, where do you think the Lakers finish in the Western Conference this year? Just as currently constituted, no Kawhi trade. This is their group. Uh, no other teams in the West make a major move. Other, Let's just assume Kawhi stays in San Antonio. They have the roster that they have. Where would you put the Lakers? Are they a top three team in the West? Are they kind of middle of the playoff pack or are they fighting to make the playoffs? I think they'll be like six or seven. I think they will have a tough transition to start the year and have to find their groove. And I don't know what's going to come down the last couple of games or anything like that. Just to edge into the playoffs. That's why I don't want to like pick eight. Um, but I, I don't envision them at the top half of the Western Conference playoff teams. Yeah, Dave, that's kind of how I see it too. Uh, you know, I look at the Western Conference right now. I say, OKC, I think getting rid of Carmelo will be addition by subtraction if you look at their numbers and, and a second year of Paul George in that system. I like what Denver's done. Uh, New Orleans played well with that boogie last year. Now they've added Randall. So I look at all three of those teams as potentially better. I think Utah could be better another year with Quinn Snyder coaching Donovan Mitchell. Like I wouldn't put it past that team at all to be a top four seed in the West. Houston will still be good I don't think they're going to be as good but uh, when you when you start to look at all of those teams I see the Lakers sort of in a fight with Minnesota maybe um, for a seventh spot I, I think there's a bunch of teams that are going to be down in that group I think Memphis is going to be a lot better than last year so I never put it past LeBron but to me it's I mean I wouldn't be surprised at all if we're looking at a 1-8 Golden State uh, LeBron matchup in the first round how is that going to go over all right last thing here part five of our podcast today with dave mcmenamin again you can follow him at mc10 on twitter you can speak to this too because uh, i know you know the other player we're going to talk about here and one of my questions about lebron going to los angeles was kobe and it's not about kobe per se although kobe certainly you know with an occasional tweet will make it clear that he still thinks he's the best player in the world even though he's not playing <laughs> Uh, but but it's about the Kobe fans and it's about uh, or the Kobe stands, we should say. And I've been kind of trolling these people a little at Five Reasons Sports by throwing out some stats that show maybe Kobe is not quite as great as they, he, they think he is. Like, for example, if you go through value over replacement player for their careers, you literally have to stack Kevin Durant's career on top of Kobe Bryant's career to get to LeBron James's career at this stage. Um, that one didn't go over very well. I was wow. called, I was called a stat geek. <laughs> for that but uh but but, but dave I, I guess the question is this we've already seen a, a mural defaced uh in los angeles uh, you, know, <laughs> you, you, you know that market um how is he going to be welcomed by kobe and how is he going to be welcomed by kobe fans because everything is measured by rings by kobe fans right it's i mean that's the counter to the stat i put up five versus three so if lebron's going to get eliminated in the first round by golden state or houston how is that going to play in la and is he going to care i think lebron has a, a very thick skin and um i've mentioned that leverage 
as being one of his skills. But I, I think the thick skin and you know, Kevin Durant was a guest on Bill Simmons' podcast. He's done it a bunch of times at this point. But one of the times he talked about his admiration for LeBron to, and obviously it's funny, it, it actually, somebody needs to find this clip and isolate it because obviously <clears throat> all the social media stuff that Kevin Durant has gotten into since with the burner accounts and arguing with high schoolers and stuff like that. Um, Le- LeBron has, you open up his phone, he opens up his phone, right? And he has millions of people yelling at him and it doesn't affect his mental. Like that's amazing to me. And so I, I don't think the negativity that will come from Kobe stands, um, will, uh, you know, get him off his game or, or change what he's about. Um, Kobe has very publicly changed his stance about LeBron. And I was surprised by that because he trolled him to some extent. You know, that interview with Howard Beck after the NBA Finals where he said, well, it's all about winning championships was a direct challenge. Kobe's tweet after Game 7 of the NBA Finals, or excuse me, Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals when LeBron made the eighth straight Finals where he said, you know, uh, he's becoming one of the greats or something like that. And he goes, Michael's, Michael six, my five, his three and counting, <laughs> where he inserts himself into that conversation when it, like people were talking about LeBron and MJ. And then Kobe's like, wait, 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 wait. I'm here too. And I'm further ahead in line than, than LeBron is. Um, you know, if there are struggles, will Kobe stay to the company line and say that he's a brother and he's family now? And, all we got to do is, you know, keep our our heads together to try to win championship for LA because I bleed purple and gold. I don't know, but I don't think this is the end of, you know, quote unquote, ugly fan incidents. Um, I, I, fandom is not rational. Like fandom, fandom, like the definition of it is like a lack of, um, I guess, measured mental approach. Like you are trying to pour your heart out for your team and you develop these bonds with these strangers that mean so much to you and to and turn to the point where you devote like a shrine in your house to these, these people, right? Like, yeah. uh, that's, that's going to be hard to unhinge. Um, that, that sentiment will be there and perhaps LeBron can create new sentiment, um, that, that new fans will latch onto and some Kobe fans will somewhat appreciate as well. But, he doesn't even have the time to do the type of things that Kobe Bryant did over 20 years here. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, if fans, you know, we're not talking Lakers fans, we're talking Kobe's fans, if they feel threatened by um, how this thing plays out. But explain this to me, Dave, because this is what I'm trying to get. What, there is, it is a specific strain of fan that is a Kobe stan. It, it is it is different. Okay, right? I mean, it's, I mean, LeBron has, I mean, Nick Wright, right? Like, okay, I mean, so... <laughs> Okay, I mean, you know, and and there are some in the media who've basically carved out this, and which is one of the reasons I respect you so much because I know you and I both covered LeBron, had relationships with LeBron, but I don't think did what uh, what some do. Okay, to to just bend over completely backwards and in all other ways, right? To, I mean, you can point out LeBron's greatness uh, and defend him against ridiculous criticism without going so far over the top. But that's a conver- again, a conversation for another day. But but it feels like with Kobe, it's not media members. It, it is the fans. I don't feel like LeBron has those people. Like, I, I, I the Kobe, you cannot argue with it. It's, it is to a certain degree, and I know we're dealing with this in politics now. It is a cult. Uh, it is a cult. Like, you, can, you cannot make any point about him without the five championships coming up immediately and if you try to say well those first three well actually Shaq was the best player on those first three teams 
Uh, I mean, I covered those finals uh, and Shaq was the dominant player. Like Kobe was emerging and was great in a lot of those games, but it was about Shaq and the last two. um, uh, Yes, he was clearly the best player on those teams, but he won a finals MVP when he had a terrible finals. Um, And Pau Gasol was probably a better player than him during those finals and particularly in the game seven when it really mattered, but you can't, you can't make it's, it's all fake news, right? To Kobe fans. Mm-hmm. I, what, what, what is it about him? Because I, I don't feel like magic engendered this in Laker fans. Like, and even magic is bought into it where magic called Kobe, the greatest Laker ever. That's just statistically not true. Like it's, it's just, I mean, longevity standpoint, but magic made showtime. Kareem is, I'm in my opinion, become criminally underrated now in history uh in terms of sure. of what he accomplished and and you can make some cases i know we have some people in our network who hate this case but jerry west was pretty damn good too elgin baylor was pretty damn good too like there's a bunch of guys that you could you can name and that's and they i know they got the tail end years of wilt but he was pretty good also so this i just feel like everybody feels like they need to bow down to kobe because they're afraid of his fans and that's what makes this different what what is it about him i, I think one he took an interest in advertising and he branded his story at a very early time and those commercials and those campaigns that he had like that there is a lasting effect there's more of a a psychological hold that those things happen than just watching a game and a guy in a post-game locker room talking about what defensive coverages were there it becomes the mamba mentality and it becomes the underbite face that he makes in a big moment in the NBA playoffs because, well, this is the actual physical manifestation of what a true competitor is like. And so it, it's it's all this kind of the trappings that he added to his career beyond the accomplishments. The accomplishments are, were already incredible, but it was like, I'm going to give you neon signs every time there is a uh, accomplishment. And so it's burned into your head and you and you start to believe that this is the way it's supposed to look when there is something great, because that's how I kind of packaged it for you for so many years. And I think that is a huge part of it. You know, and I did sit down with him one day, you know, where he said that basically, basically he'd rather have championships than friends. And it's like, what? (laughs) And yes, fans, you think that's the way you should go about life. And I'm like, you know, to me, as someone who strives to find work-life balance all the time, like that's an absurd statement. It's actually a sad statement. Um, But for like fans who want to believe that like sports are different than life, and it's some big, great stage, and these are the last gladiators that that we celebrate, um, that appeals to them. Um, but but I kind of think it's just marketing. And and I think I I definitely agree that it's marketing. But it's also I think it's a people's perception of what made Michael Jordan great, and that Michael Jordan was great because he didn't want any you know personal interactions with anyone, and that he was he, he was all consumed with winning and killing you and taking you one on one, and I'm gonna beat you like all that kind of. It almost machismo in a way like it, it, it's it's a bizarre way to kind of think about it but that those are the qualities that people saw in Michael Jordan and frankly don't see in LeBron and that's the re- that's ultimately what makes you the greatest of what you do and I agree with that I find it to be uncommonly sad uncommonly sad and, and it, it's also laughable because like oh Michael Jordan was all he cared about was winning. He had such a big finals game coming up that he was getting drunk in Utah the night before. <laughs> he, all he cared about was no, winning. No, no, no. It was a flu game. Oh, it was a flu game. Come on. Game. Uh, it was a flu game, right? 
uh, all he cared about was winning. He was down at AC Family till four in the morning before next playoff game. Like, come on. Dave, he played 72 holes of golf before a heat playoff game. Right. Now, again, <laughs> right. that, that heat team he was playing, he, you know, he, he was able to afford that. But yeah, I, it's a ridiculous notion. But what's fascinating to me about right. it is LeBron is exactly the opposite of Kobe in that regard. Like LeBron cares more yeah. about friends than he does about the winning. And it doesn't mean he doesn't care about the winning, but uh, LeBron has always gone the other direction. And what's interesting is uh, to a certain degree, magic loved winning, uh, but magic was also about making it fun and playing with a smile mm-hmm. on his face. And, and Kobe is the complete opposite of that. So I just think there's a really interesting symmetry here to LeBron's career that when he came into the NBA, he was compared to magic by the people who really understood him where everybody else was trying to compare him to Jordan. And so now I think right. he end up finishing his career with a guy who really, he should have been compared to the most in terms of, of style of play in terms of personality, you know, LeBron came in with, you know, doing puppet commercials, right? I mean, and playing 12 <laughs> characters in an ad, like that was more magic. Right. And, and so I, I think it's actually in that way. Like, I don't like a lot of things about the move. Um, I, I, you know, but I do think from that perspective, him being with magic to close his career. And I know it drives, you know, it must drive Riley crazy because, because, Pat wanted to have that right because Pat wanted to have that relationship with with LeBron like he had with Magic, and now they're going to have that relationship together. And uh, so I, I think that is that's got to be particularly uh, painful because I, you know uh, if if things had gone differently, you know LeBron would still be here and he'd be having the lifestyle that he wanted uh, and doing all the winning. Uh, maybe not the movie studios because we have a different kind of movie studio down here. Although I guess we they have that in Los Angeles too, Dave. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> in bad noise, but um, but yeah, it's it's uh, we, we have a little of that down here. But uh, anyway, Dave, we appreciate the time uh, again. You, we felt you were kind of uniquely qualified uh, on this topic. Um, good luck wherever you may be covering uh, next year. We'll, we'll obviously be following you. Appreciate it. And uh, and we will never have Varden on the pod again. I promise. Uh, and, <laughs> and if we have Lloyd, it won't quite match up to yours. So um, we appreciate it, man. Thank you. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big- 